than we were before. Amen. This is a decisive change, and there is now in the believer a new life. And even in, in 2 Peter, um, in, in the second epistle of Peter, he talks about us as believers participating in the divine nature. Wow. Um, it seems almost blasphemous. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that's how the Jews took it. But anyway, uh, but it is true, because, right, because it's in the Scripture. It is totally new. Where we were lost and, 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 and separated from God in our sins, now Peter would write in Second Peter, he said, now we participate in the divine nature, like what we talked about last week, where that relationship has been restored that was, was lost between us and God. It's now been restored, and now we share in fellowship with God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, as though we belong there, but of course it's only by our union with Jesus Christ. But anyway, we have in His great mercy, He gave us, He has given us new birth into a living hope. That's a great phrase, living hope. I want to. Clay and I were talking a little bit yesterday about the about words in the Bible that we just really don't have any idea of. We just don't really get. Um, um, it reminds me a little bit of Three Amigos, where he keeps using the word plethora, and the guy says. I do not think this word means what you think it means, right? We have those kinds of problems a lot um, where we don't really understand what a word means. And one of those words in the, in, in the New Testament that doesn't translate well into English because we just don't have the depth of, of, in our language for those words, one of those words is hope or faith, right? In the New Testament and, and even in, in Old Testament teaching, the word hope or faith was not something like what we would for, refer to today, today as blind hope, Right? Or a leap of faith, as though it's based on nothing. What what Paul? I'm sorry. What Peter is talking about here, us having a living hope. The term there is much more like the Latin, or what's translated into Spanish as esperar, which means to wait or to hope. Right? It's not that we're just hoping something happens, not because we have any idea about how it would or why it would, but we have a living hope based on something that's certain. And as much as we have a hope for it, it is much more like we're just waiting for it because it is a certainty, all right? Yeah, I love it in Spanish, esperar. When you say esperar, it means that you, 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 you hope for something, but it means more, has a, also the, the, the connotation or the denotation, I should say, that it is something that we expect, right? It, this is something we anticipate to happen. Well, why, why in the world would we have a living hope? Well, because of all the things that God has done in the Old Testament, all the things that Jesus Christ has done in the New Testament and what he told us what he would do, now we have a living hope. It's not a hope based on nothing. It's not a hope that's just blind faith. It is a hope based on all that God has done, and we believe he will continue to be faithful. Amen? We talked about this last Christmas, but um, when, I, when we see Jesus Christ coming the first time and all the prophecies telling and foreshadowing how he would come and where he would come from and what he would do, and we see it happen in his first coming, makes us all that more certain in hope, in, in anticipation and expectation that he's coming again. Well, why do we think that? Is that blind hope? No. He came the first time and he, because he said he would. He's coming the second time. Why? Because he said he would. Amen? All right, so we have a living hope, and it is a hope like an anticipation or expectation about what's coming, and it is a living hope because it is living and active because it is based on the promises of a living Savior who overcame death by the power of the resurrection, and he lives, and his promises live right along with him. We have a living hope. All right, so in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the next thing we have is not only a new birth and a, new, and a living hope, we also have an inheritance that's coming. All right, now, 
there are so many things that talk about us in the New Testament, talking us being heirs and the things that we're inheriting. And some of those things um, talk about we get to inherit eternal life. We get to inherit the glory with Christ, which is almost blasphemous to me, but it's in the Bible, so it's true that we should get to share somehow with what Jesus Christ has accomplished, but it's true, we do. The kingdom of God, we get to inherit. The salvation, we get to inherit. And there are many, many things that the Bible talks about us inheriting. But here in particular, Peter is talking about the blessedness and the glory that is waiting for us in heaven. Um, and and which we've received the Holy Spirit that's kind of a foretaste and a promise or a pledge about what's coming. But notice he says some things about this particular inheritance. He says, says first, he says, that inheritance can never perish. And the word perish was a phrase that was used of, of a land that was set apart, that was set aside, that an enemy couldn't get to and ruin, an enemy couldn't get to and burn. Uh, it was said to be something that was set apart and been be unreachable by an enemy. That is our inheritance. Evil, the evil one cannot touch it. He cannot uh, get to it. He cannot take it away because it is preserved by God in heaven. And the next thing is not only is it imperishable, but it also will not spoil, meaning that it can't be touched or ruined by time. It can't be touched or ruined by impurity or sin. It is something that's set apart for us uh, and kept by God, or fade. It can't fade. The word there for fade is something that was used to talk about a, like a withering flower that may be beautiful one day, but the next day you come and it's shriveled up and dry and dead. But Peter says this inheritance cannot fade. Its beauty remains. As beautiful it is on the day that it was, that it was done for us, it will remain in that beauty until the day that we receive it. Amen? Doesn't leave, lose value like your 401k either. Kept in heaven for you, uh, yeah, and kept in heaven for you. That word kept is, is, a, is an active word. It means safeguarded or watched over. Who do you think it is that's watching over our inheritance in heaven? It is Christ or God himself. And so, therefore, it is kept by his great power and omniscience and omnipotence. He is keeping for you an inheritance that is glorious and blessed. And listen, one day... All the stuff that we're waiting for, you know, all the stuff that you and I struggle with in our sanctification, one day we're going to receive the completeness of our deliverance, our redemption and salvation. I'm sorry to throw all those theological words at you, but there will be an end to all of these struggles, and one day all of it will be 100% complete. The things that we're waiting for now are going to be done, right? The struggles we have with the sin of this body are going to be done with, and, and, and the distance of relationship that we feel between God and us right now, it'll all be gone, and we'll see him. The Bible describes it as face to face, and we will be fully known, and we will fully know him, and we will see him as he is, even though he lives in unapproachable light. And the Bible talks in glorious detail about this, but one day we will be in the presence of the Father, and there won't be any need for a son anymore because God himself will give light. That is a glorious inheritance that's coming for us. Amen? It is the hope that I wait for. Um, well, let's keep going. Okay, um, so, uh, so we have all this stuff, in sh- and uh, verse 5 the, uh, yes, and then he talks about us. Not only is our inheritance kept in heaven, but also those of us who believe are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What that means is, is that we, by faith, are grasping hold of God's power to shield us. That term shield is very similar to the language that was used a little bit earlier. It speaks of a military kind of protection. It's like being behind a fortified
fortified wall in a city or a fort. And it, it says that God is shielding you or protecting you. It's like you're living in the, in, in, the, in the realm of a king and you live behind his wall and you live behind his troops and he is protecting and preserving you and you, attain, and you grasp hold of that by faith. And so you, by faith, grasp hold of God's power and God's power grasps hold of you in a way. So anyway, he, uh, he is protecting us and shielding us uh, until the day of salvation. And let me just say before we go on beyond this, I need God to shield me in this faith. Anyone else? I am more convinced now. I am more apt to wonder and prone to wonder, just like the hymn says, right? I am more prone to wonder than I ever realize, and I need God holding firmly onto me. Amen? Uh, and that is my hope for salvation. That is my hope for endurance and perseverance, uh, is that the Lord God to be holding on to me, because uh, I don't have much faith in myself for good reason. Uh, but anyway, let's go on. Um, let's see. Let's go on. Okay, believers too are, are kept faith, our protection. And here's the deal. Our protection here is the limitless power of God. Can you imagine uh, if, if our hope was in anything else but in the power of God, but God in his limitlessness, in his omniscience, in his all-powerfulness, his omnipotence, he shields us and protects us and keeps us for himself. It's a glorious thing, a beautiful thing. Okay, now in verse 6, in this, meaning that all these things that he's just talked about, this new birth that, we, that we've been given, this living hope, this great inheritance, this salvation, he says, because of all this, in this, you greatly rejoice. You know what, folks, may I have your attention for a moment? We don't spend enough time rejoicing in what God's done for us. Am I right? Uh, we just don't. We just don't ponder enough the things that he's done for us because we're too busy working on the things that aren't done yet. You know what I mean? We're so busy trying to keep up with children and finances and, and uh, you know, whatever uh, distractions we have in our lives that we don't think and ponder about what's been done for us. I asked you last week, do you know what's been done for you? Do you know the extent of God's love and his power that he's already given us through the cross of Jesus Christ? Do you know what it is to have the indwelling Holy Spirit in you as a promise and a pledge and a seal for us, over us, until the day ultimately that our salvation is bought? Do you know what's been done for you? We talked about last week, but yeah, maybe this much. We'll ponder and think and meditate and in the scriptures be reading and listening and watching to see and be asking God, Lord, you know, it's like Moses, right? Lord, show me your glory. Lord, show me what you've done. Show me what you've done for me that I may, that my love for you might grow, that my idea, that my understanding of all that you've done on my behalf may grow and I may fall even greater in love with you because of your grace toward me. That's a great prayer. That's a great prayer. Lord, show me your glory. Let me see what you've done for me. Let, me. let me understand it. Let me comprehend it all. And Peter, or the Apostle Paul would write that there's so much that you're going to need the Spirit's help to do it. You can't grasp it all alone. You've got to have supernatural help in understanding all that God has done for you. Okay, but anyway, in this you greatly rejoice. Um, yeah, there are other places that we're commanded to rejoice right? <laughs> that we're told it's a command. You rejoice. Rejoice in what's been done for you. Be glad. Be grateful. Feel joy uh, over what's been done to you. Remember what's been done for you. Now, listen what he says. In this, you greatly rejoice. So, all these things we've talked about, you greatly rejoice. And then he says, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Um, 
I hope I can convey this to you. Lord, help us here. But it, only in Christianity is suffering and joy linked like this. Um, it, it, this is unique to Christianity. This is a very unique thing um, where it's how it's talked about. But um, let me let me see uh, yeah, if we can if we can get through this. In this, we greatly rejoice. The greatly rejoicing here means is that we have uh, uh, an, an overabundance of joy. It, it, it could also be, uh, we could also be translated that we leap for joy, that we're overjoyed, that we have the NIV just translated, we have, we greatly rejoice. We have great joy over these things. And it is such a joy that, listen, it is supposed to affect your life. It's supposed to affect your perspective. You're supposed to be a people who are joyful because of all that's been done for you and not people who are always in the doldrums or depressed or wondering and wary and all the time, but we're supposed to be, despite what's going on, a people full of joy. Well, how can that be that way when I asked you in the very beginning if you've all suffered and you all said yes? How can we be full of joy? How is it that I can have joy in my life despite the suffering and you all just told me that you've all suffered? How can we have that kind of joy? How can we have that kind of joy that, that doesn't fade, that isn't blemished, that isn't tarnished by the suffering that's going on in our lives? The thing is, is that we've got to remember what's been done for us. And we've got to remember what he says here. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Um, yeah. What is expressed here in the New Testament is a joy that, exists in spite of grief. And here you go. Here's something very new in the New Testament. But even in the midst of grief, the joy is even enhanced by it. Are you with me? That somehow through suffering, there is even greater joy than there was before. You with me? The writer of Hebrews, Phyllis was reminding me during Sunday school, the writer of Hebrews in, in chapter 12 talked about, he, he talked about us going through trials and going through suffering. And he says, if you're suffering, if you're going through trials, it's evidence of God's love for you because he, I uh, learned this when I was uh, memorizing in King James Version, because he chastens you or he, I don't know what the word is in NIV even, disciplines you, thank you. He disciplines you as a son and he is showing a fatherly love for you as you suffer uh, as you go through trials, as you go through troubles. And in the midst of that, you can have great joy knowing that he's trying to produce in something in you that's even greater. We're going to get to that here in the next verse. These have come to you so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. Let's pause there for just a moment. Okay, so what's he saying here? He says, gold is refined Right, even gold, that, that metal, they'll take an ore and it has impurities in it and they'll begin molt, melting it and they'll melt it off until it becomes a liquid, heated up to an inc incredible temperature and they'll start drawing off, you've all heard the sermons, right? They'll start drawing off the dross, they'll scrape off the impurities from the top and they'll do it over and over and over again until the metal reaches some, such purity that what's left behind is genuine gold. No impurities left. He says, like that, is this testing and suffering and trials that you, go, that, that, you're, that you undergo. It is like that refining fire of gold is what you're going under, but instead of gold, it's something much more valuable. Your faith is being proven genuine, all right? Which is more valuable, of course, than gold and may result in praise, glory, and honor. What does that mean? It's a lot like the song that Clay sang at the very end there. Is that 
in the end, one day we'll stand before God and he'll take a look at our lives and all the things that have happened and all the good, all the bad, whatever we've done in faith and those things that we've done in faith we'll receive a reward for, an inheritance for. All those things that we've done by faith and those things that we've received a reward for are those things that are left after all the refining of our lives, after all the suffering that you've gone through in your marriage, after friends or family or a husband or wife has turned their back on you, after you've suffered the loss of a child, after you've suffered uh, in all kinds of illness or sickness or pain that lasts maybe for years or decades, and through all of that and you get to one day in heaven and your faith has persevered and on that day God will look at you and look at your faith that remains and he'll say, pure gold, genuine faith, right? Here's the thing that I want to leave you with today. It's so important. In the life of a believer, suffering has a purpose. In the life of a believer, suffering has a purpose. It has a purifying effect on our faith. It has the ability to prove what is genuine about us. And let me tell you this, you know, when you're reading in Hebrews, especially it seems like the latter parts of the, of the New Testament in, in Hebrews and Revelation for, for some reason, there is this idea that those who get the prize, those who win the crown, those who get the inheritance are those who, what? Persevere. Those whose faith was proven genuine over their lifetime and they still had faith in the goodness of, of God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at the end of their life, if they've proven, if their faith has been proven over a lifetime, they're the ones who have persevered and they're the ones who receive a crown and an inheritance uh, for what's left. So let me tell you, let me, let me end like this. When you suffer, and you all suffer, and, and in the midst of suffering, you may doubt, all right? Let's just let's say that out in church, ready? In suffering, you may doubt God's goodness. You may doubt his plan for you. You may doubt what he's doing. You may be praying and squirming and saying, God, you have got to get me out of this trouble. You've got to get me out of this suffering. But when you persevere, it is proof of a genuine faith. When you come out on the other side of that suffering and you say, bless the Lord for what he's done in my life. Bless the Lord that, that he's taken me through this. Bless the Lord that he, he carried me through that trial or through that struggle. Your faith is proven genuine. And that is a beautiful and glorious thing and something for which one day you will receive an inheritance. And it even says something incredible here. Um, who is it that receives praise, glory, and honor? Generally speaking, this would be a good time to answer God or Jesus. But in this case, it's us. When we persevere because of the work of God in our lives, and I want to, let's be real clear, God has done the majority of the work. All we're doing is persevering here, uh, but it may result in praise, glory, and honor, and we're the ones who receive it because we're the ones who receive the inheritance. We're the ones who receive the blessing from God for hanging on to our faith, and so when you struggle, it's for a purpose. When you suffer, it's for a reason. It is not as though God's plan has gone haywire and suddenly he's not in control anymore. He is trying to bring about something more precious in your life and to bring about something genuine in your life that you didn't have before or he needed to drive off some impurities so that you may show up to him one day with a beautiful, genuine faith that he has worked with you to produce. Amen? There's an inheritance for us. It will not perish. It will not fade. Its beauty will be kept. 
We are, as believers, we are born into a new life. We participate in the divine nature. And when we suffer, it's for a reason and for a purpose to prove that our faith was genuine all along. Amen? Amen. All right. Let me, uh, let's take just a moment here and, praise, and pray together and uh, we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we all know what it is to suffer. Matter of fact, you told us uh, in this world you will have trouble. That word could be tribulation. You will have trials. You'll, you'll, have, you'll have trouble. You will have suffering. But then you said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So, Father, um, we know that it's just for a little while, Lord God, that we suffer here. And, Lord, I, just being here in this midst of, of people, I know there are people who are struggling right now with issues of health. There are people who are struggling with finances. There are people who are struggling as their, their children are going in a direction that they're not happy with. There are people um, who are, who are uh, struggling and uh, over doubt. And, uh, Lord God, it, we see that. We see it, it is common to humanity. We all struggle. It, it is a struggle in this world because of sin. Uh, it just is. But, Father, as believers, we struggle for a reason. We struggle for a purpose. Uh, those trials that you put us through, Lord God, have, a, have a, 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 a sanctifying work in us, that you're trying to bring about something better in us than was there before. And so, Lord God, what can we say? But we praise you for that. We thank you for it. We thank you, Lord, that we don't suffer needlessly, but we suffer for a reason. So, Father, you come and you do your work and you bring about a, a, a genuineness of faith. You bring about a sanctifying work by your Holy Spirit, Father, um, and when, you, when you carry us through those trials, when you carry us through those dark times. And, Lord, we just pray together to say, Lord, you shield us, Lord God. You help us through those times. You don't ask us to carry those difficult times alone, but you come alongside us and you help us by your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we ask for your presence. We ask for your help and your strength, Lord God, when we go through those times. But in the end, I pray every one of us would remember that this is for a reason. This is for a cause. This is for something that will be better in my life than it was before. So, Lord God, you produce something glorious and praiseworthy in my life even in the midst of struggles, of, struggles, of trouble, even in the midst of struggle, Lord God, you produce something glorious in our lives, Lord God, we pray. It's in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. It's hard to remember when you're in the middle of, I get these words, struggle and trouble confused all the time. Struggles, I like to call them. But in the midst of struggles, it's hard to remember this. But you remember God is producing something that wasn't there before. Amen. He's proving your faith genuine. All right. Lord bless you. You guys have a great week.